Good morning. It's such an honour to share with you today. Um, I think Easter Sunday is probably the most exciting day of the whole year. And um, to be honest, it's only in recent years that I've probably really started to capture actually how amazing it is. But um, as children, it is easy to get distracted by the, the chocolate Easter eggs. My parents used to only let us have the Easter eggs on Sunday. Um, which is the traditional way, but I kind of like breaking the rules now I'm an adult, and I have actually been enjoying Easter eggs for a few weeks. <laughs> but there's much to celebrate. Um, so yes, today I'm going to be talking about hope. And um, you know what? Hope is really powerful. And um, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how all the gifts that we can have in Christ. You know, we can have wisdom and knowledge and we can have great sense of power. But you know, he says that the three most important things that underlie everything in our walk with God is faith, hope, and love. And hope is right up there with it. We know that love is the most important. It is what transforms us. It undercurrents everything we believe in. But hope is right up there with God's favorite things. So um, it's important. And I think that maybe sometimes we let hope get kind of smushed between faith and love and we kind of forget its significance. You know, we know about how important faith is and we know how important love is. But I think today God wants to remind us how important and how powerful hope is. Um, in John 16:33, and um, Jesus says one of my favorite verses, and I do use the Amplified Bible a lot because it's quite wordy and I'm a wordy person. So bear with me. Jono doesn't like it. He skips through all the bracket bits. But anyway, um, in the world, you will have, this is Jesus speaking, in the world, you will have tribulation and trials and distress and you will have frustration. But be of good cheer. Take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you, and I have conquered it for you. Amazing. So amazing. This is the Jesus we celebrate today. He overcame the world. And you know, he didn't promise to get us through life unscathed from suffering. He's acknowledged that you're going to have tribulation and trials. We are going to lose people in our life. But he has deprived suffering the power to swallow us. He has deprived suffering the power to conquer us. Thank you, Jesus. There is no diagnosis, no loss, no amount of pain that he cannot help us through. Suffering will not overwhelm us because he has already overwhelmed it. And that's what we celebrate today and always. There is so much life to be had in Jesus. And I bring you this message of hope on the back of what's been quite a rough start of the year for Jono and I, my husband. And so I will share with you a little bit about what we've gone through just to give you context because during this time, God kept on speaking to me about hope. And I'm like, why are you telling me about hope? It's a really hopeless situation. But man, God sees things differently. So what was happening is, end of last year, I had um, my brother, my eldest brother lives in the States, and um, I haven't seen him for three years, and he came over to have Christmas with us, with his beautiful three children and his wife. And so we had booked a house down in Matarangi in the Coromandel, 
And um, we were so excited because we were all together for the first time in a long time. And it was during those precious few days that we had together that um, Jono and I were in the first trimester of a pregnancy. And I began to miscarry our baby. And the sense of loss is so immense of this hope of new life growing in you. And you can't do anything but just let nature take its course in a way. And um, I just felt like I had nothing to look forward to. It was like, I'm on the eve of 2017 and I want to be excited and expectant for the year. But I just felt like life is just draining for my body, literally, and I have nothing to hope for. But God was so near and he gave us visions and he gave us signs that he was going to, of the promise of new life. And that he knew my dreams and he knew my cries and he heard me. And I'll share with you some of the stuff that he shared with us. Some of it's quite precious and I will hold it close. But one thing which is um, quite fun is that... Um, the day after we lost our baby, we were walking on the beach at Maharingi. Actually, I wasn't there. Jono was. He took a photo for me. On the horizon, so he's looking out over the beautiful Coromandel water and this vivid, exquisite rainbow filled the sky. And I don't know if you know, but um, a baby who is born after a miscarriage or a stillbirth is called a rainbow baby. And we just thought, this is God's promise for us. Bear with me, sorry. <laughs> I hope you can make sense of what I'm saying. Um, we, we, just felt, we just felt this was God telling us, you were going to have your rainbow baby. Later that night, John, I was scrolling through his Instagram feed and looking, hashtag marteringy. Um, and so that's all the pictures which people have taken from marteringy that day. And he came across this picture of the same rainbow. And he opened up this picture. And the woman who took it was explaining in her caption, how a year ago to that day, she miscarried her baby in Maturingi. And she stood there on the, on the ocean front looking at this rainbow. And she was eight months pregnant now with her rainbow baby. And I just thought, thank you, God. I'm going to take that, taking that as um, hope for new life. And we continued to see rainbows for weeks after that in crazy situations. Um, And it was amazing. And I know that might seem weird, and maybe I'm reading into things too much. But, you know, God speaks to us in so many ways. And I think sometimes we get stuck in listening in one channel. But He is always speaking to us always speaking life, always speaking his promises, always speaking how much he loves us. And I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss one thing he's saying. So when we see, you know, he speaks to us in creation. And so I'm clinging on to that. And I'm very happy to say that we are now three and a half months pregnant with our rainbow baby. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Precious life. And I continue to have to remind myself of the many promises that he's spoken to us because it's easy to let fear take control. Um, come February, um, some of you might have known, Jono's older brother, um, he had been battling with bowel cancer. Um, two years ago, he um, was 35 and he was diagnosed with um, terminal bowel cancer. 
and he was given two to five years to live. Unfortunately, no amount of chemo or radiation or alternative treatment made a single dent in the disease, which continued to rage through his body. And unfortunately, in February, we lost him after 18 months of his battle with cancer. And he left a beautiful wife, a nine-year-old boy, behind. And so the gaping hole left in the Phipps family is immense. And there's nothing that can prepare you for losing a loved one. Even if you know it might be coming, the finality of it is just, you can't wrap your head around it, eh? But, you know, Mike constantly amazed us. Despite knock after knock and every single doctor's report being negative, despite nothing working in his body, he continued to hope for his miracle. He just kept hoping right to the last week before we lost him. And so in observing Mike's journey and in our own journey of losing our baby and and losing our brother, God continued to share with us what hope is, how powerful hope is, and how necessary hope is. And so we have every reason to hope today, and God wants us to pick up our hope again. So first of all, he shared with me, what is hope? The morning after I lost my baby, he told me, hope is gritty. It is so much more than positive thinking, than an optimistic mindset or wishful thinking. It requires acknowledging pain, looking at it, but not collapsing into it. Hope isn't in denial about reality. It can look at a situation face on and still believe for a good outcome, still believe for our God to break through for us. And this is why hope is different from positive thinking, because positive thinking might look at a situation and try and weave its way around it or fake it till you make it, take, take that kind of approach. But hope looks at it. It sees its reality and it still believes that God can break through and overcome the situation. Hope requires courage. It isn't flaky. It's not just a good feeling. It requires courage to wrestle with questions and to stand in the face of mystery and choose to trust. Hope requires confidence and desiring something we can't yet taste, see, or feel. The very nature of hope is that it's not visible. In Romans 8.24, Paul says, Hope which is seen is not hope. For how can one hope for what one already sees? Therefore, hope requires vision when nothing makes visible sense. The definition of hope is a feeling of desire and expectation for something to happen. And so again, this is how hope differs from positive thinking, is that there's an expectation for something good to happen. There's an expectation for God to break through. There's an expectation that there will be good yet to come. And again, I love how the Amplified Bible puts it. It says, hope is joyful expectation. Joyful expectation. So if hope is joyful, then perhaps it's not this heavy thing that we have to drag with us through life, through all our hard things and and through our suffering and through our pain, you know, got to keep my hope on, got to keep positive. Maybe hope actually gives us a sense of ease and and of lightness or of being suspended above and through your, your worries and your fears. And, and that's what hoping in our overcoming God gives us. It's hope with a capital H, 
the next thing he shared with me were um, the effects of hope. He said, hope is productive. It makes stuff happen. Even before the thing you're hoping for happens, hope is producing really good stuff in you. And the first thing that he shared with me is that hope gives us strength. Hope renews our strength. It adds to us. It doesn't deplete us. By keeping on hoping, we are adding to us. In Isaiah 40, 31, it says, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not stumble. And again, I love how the Amplified Bible puts it. It says that those who wait for the Lord, so it translates that hoping in the waiting in the Lord as much the same. Those who wait for the Lord, who expect and look for Him, will renew their strength. And you know what? Jono and I want to look for God in everything. And you might think, as I said, like that rainbow thing and so many other stuff, we're like, that's God speaking to us. Maybe... Maybe the rainbow was going to be there anyway, and we're just reading into it. But you know what? I am looking for God in every situation. He is speaking to me in every situation, and I will look for Him, and I will find strength in His promises. Wishful thinking could be exhausting. That would tire you, wouldn't it? If you're hoping in yourself and other people, if you're wishing that the economy would take a good turn, that would be exhausting. But you know what? Hoping in God gives us new strength. It gives us new power because we are aware of his overcoming power in our lives in every single situation. And I know that Mike, Jono's brother, wouldn't have got to the end of his his life and his journey of cancer, which was very aggressive and quick, and thought, why did I even hope for a miracle? I shouldn't have hoped. What was the point? I should have just resigned to the fact that this was going to take me. Not for a minute would he regret hoping because it was his hoping which gave him strength to focus on the life he had left. It was his hoping for a miracle which helped him to focus on being a dad, on being a husband, on being a policeman, on being a brother. It helped him to focus on and to celebrate the life that he had left. And he had an incredible 18 months left here on earth. Hoping was not wasteful. Hope also gives us joy. And again, back to that verse in John 17, 33, where Jesus says, you know, you are going to have stuff happen in your life which isn't going to be particularly great. You are going to face some suffering. You know, we do lose people. We do lose babies. But we can be of good cheer. We can be happy. We can know a sense of joy amid our suffering and amid our pain. And I'm such a firm believer in this. God wants us to know joy no matter what we're going through. It's a different joy. It's a different joy. It's not what the world says. And, you know, hoping in God gives us heaven perspective. We can see our situation differently when we begin to see what God sees. We know our sufferings are not in vain. When we know he'll use all things to work together for the good of those who love him. And we can have a deep sense of joy through all we face when we catch heaven's vision. In Romans 5.5, Paul says, Hope never disappoints 
or deludes or shames us. Hope never disappoints or deludes or shames us because of God's love. So if hope doesn't disappoint us, then maybe it gladdens us and satisfies us and fulfills us and makes us happy. If hope doesn't shame us and embarrass us, then it's for our glory and for our honour in Christ Jesus. And as I said, I know Mike wouldn't regret one moment of hoping. The other thing that I stumbled across is that hope is healing. Um, I came across this, um, this thing called the science of hope. And there's this guy called Dr. Jerome Groupman. You can look him up if you want to, if this is your thing. I'm not going to um, go into it, into it in great detail, but he, um, he works through Harvard University as a pathologist. And he has studied sick people and worked with people who are terminally ill for, for all his career. And he has noticed that there's a difference between those people who have hope and those people who don't. And people who have hope, and he defines hope as belief and expectation, belief and expectation. People who have hope recover from their cancer treatment so much quicker than people who don't. And one of the findings he, um, he shares is that when we trigger hope, which is belief and expectation, these are the two ingredients needed, endorphins and incophilins, which I haven't pronounced prob- um, probably very well, but endorphins and another chemical are stimulated in our brain and in our bodies, and they work similar to opiates where they block pain, they, um, they temper f- uh, fear and anxiety, and what else do they do? They promote healing. And I mean, this is what the Bible tells us hope does anyway, but it's cool that we actually see now a chemical reaction happening in our body when we choose to hope. So it's not vacant, people. Hoping does things. And this is my favorite thing of what God told me. He said, he started to share with me who it is or what aspects of God that he wanted me to focus and hope in. He told me the morning after, I left, uh, sorry, the morning after our baby left us, He said that he is the God of the turnaround. And he led me to the scripture in Isaiah 41, 18, um, from the message. I will open rivers on the bare heights, fountains in the midst of valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, the wild olive. I will set the cypress in the desert, the plane tree and the pine tree together, that men may see and know that the hand of the Lord has done this. God turns wastelands into waterways. He turns deserts into rainforests. Things which don't normally or naturally grow together do grow together under the breath of God. He turns the natural order of things on its head. And I believe this. This is the God I hope in. He is the God of the turnaround. He is also the God who knows brokenness. Jesus knows our brokenness. He knows our pain. And we remember this in the Easter story and in the, um, in the days and weeks that led up to his death. You know, we know that Jesus was bullied and he was betrayed. He was scoffed at and he was scorned. He was tormented and tried. He was accused and abused. He knew immense isolation and loneliness. The sins of the world was upon him. The weight of the world was upon his shoulders. He knows our pains infinitely. He gets it. 
He's not removed from our humanity. Far from it. He leans into our pain. Anne Voskamp, one of my favourite new writers, is, um, well, she's not new, she's new to me. Um, She writes this in her book. It's pretty cool. Jesus, with his pierced side, is always on the side of the broken. Jesus always moves into places moved by grief. Jesus always seeks out where suffering is, and that's where Jesus stays. Jesus is always on the side of the suffering, the wounded, the broken, the busted. His wound in his side proves this. I find it incredibly comforting to hope in a God who walked every path that I ever will, who has walked every path I ever have, who knows my suffering, who leans into it. He's so intimately acquainted with what I'm going through, and you too. Another thing Anne says is, and this is another really cool thing. She's a really good writer. Uh, For a seed to become fully into its own, it must become wholly undone. The shell must break open, its insides must spill out, and everything must change. Brokenness can make abundance. And this is exciting. When we surrender our brokenness to God, He breathes abundant life into that. He is the God of the turnaround. He will turn the natural things and order of things on its head, and He will show His miraculous power in our lives. He also shared with me that He is the God who makes all things new. In Isaiah 43, in the message, God says, forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert, be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert and rivers in the badlands. This is so exciting. If only we would have eyes to see and ears to see it, ears to hear that God is doing a new thing. He's always working a new thing in us. And I get the sense this is a real word for us. And funnily enough, he's been sharing with me about how um, he's the God of, of making new things through the analogy of pregnancy. And, um, you know, pregnancy involves a lot of waiting. There is so much waiting involved in pregnancy. First of all, you have to wait to get pregnant, and that can take a long time. Okay, you have to wait for the right time to get pregnant, and then you have to keep on waiting every month until it happens. I won't go into the details. You have to. <laughs> um, once you get pregnant, well, you can't test until you get pregnant until like a certain few weeks after the deed. And then you have to, for the first trimester, which is the first 12 to 14 weeks, you often feel really, really sick, really fatigued. You feel pretty crappy. There is no physical evidence that you are, sick, that you are pregnant. And doctors recommend that you don't tell anyone because you know, the risk of miscarriage is quite high, so keep it to yourself for your own benefit. So all the while, you're feeling pretty crappy and you can't tell anyone. And then if you're like me, you're a planner and you like to control things, you can't wait for the 20-week ultrasound where you can find out what gender your baby is. And then you can plan. And, and then there's just the waiting and the waiting and the waiting and the waiting until you finally meet your baby. And the last few weeks, before you have your baby, feel like thousands of years. 
You are uncomfortable. You are heavy. You are stretched. You can't sleep at night. You pee every 30 minutes. Your blood volume has doubled. Your organs are completely rearranged to make way for this baby. Your stomach's up here or something ridiculous. It's a really long process. And I'll spare you the details of labor, but the most painful part is right before the baby is born. And that's when you know that new life is coming. Waiting does not mean it's not happening. Waiting does not mean that new life is not under construction. Waiting does not mean that God's got new life and your dream and your hopes well underway. For much of pregnancy, you can't see any evidence that you are carrying new life. I wonder what we can't see God's doing for us. I wonder what we can't see He's doing in us. I really feel that this is a word for some people here today. You feel like you've been holding on to a prophetic word or a vision or a dream you've had since day dot, and you've almost shelved it. You're like, seriously, this is ridiculous. I am so stretched. I cannot see how this thing could ever happen. I feel like I'm going to be pregnant forever. But God's saying, keep hoping. Your breakthrough's just around the corner. New life is just around the corner. In Romans 8, in the message translation in um, 22 to 25, it says, all around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs, and they're in us as well. And that is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what's enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. New life is coming. God is breathing new life and resurrected life into your hopes and your dreams. Don't give up. Keep holding them. Keep giving them to God. He hasn't forgotten. The other thing we hope in, and this is what we celebrate today and always, and this is what carries us through the darkest of times, is that our God is the God of our eternal home. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, it says, Therefore, we do not become discouraged, utterly spiritless and exhausted and wearied out through fear. Though our outer man is progressively decaying and wasting away, yet our inner self is being progressively renewed day by day. For our light momentary affliction, the slight distress of the passing hour is ever more and more abundantly preparing and producing for us an everlasting weight of glory beyond all measure, excessively surpassing all comparisons and all calculations, a vast and transcendent glory and blessedness never to cease. Thank you, Jesus. Amazing. This is what can carry us through the darkest of times. We know it's temporary and it's fleeting and it doesn't feel like it, I know. But it is. And we will be with our Jesus and we will be whole and we will be happy forevermore. It goes on in verse 18. Since we consider and look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are unseen. For the things which are visible are temporal. They're brief and fleeting. But the things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. Cast your vision higher. 
above and beyond your now, above and beyond the visible. Ask God, reveal to me, Lord, what do you see? Give me your vision. Give me your vision. Christ is also our overcoming God. This is so exciting. I'm really giddy with excitement about what Christ does for us. You know, the wonderful thing is that we don't have to wait till we die to have an experience of fullness of life in Christ. It's not like when we receive Jesus, we're like, okay, cool, got Jesus. Now I just have to get through life and um, just kind of make it and, and see if I can avoid as much pain as possible. He wants us to have fullness of life now. He wants us to have joy now, peace now, deep comfort now, healing, transformation, reconciliation now. Amid trials and tribulations, we can have life and fullness of life. He wants to transform every single detail of our lives. And full and abundant life looks different in Christ than it does in the world. It's an internal thing and it overflows and it bubbles up. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life, sorry, that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. I want that life. A few months ago, I had this picture of Jesus and I'll share it with you and I want you to take it on as your own. I saw Jesus, um, he was standing in front of me, so I'll share it as if it's you. So Jesus is standing in front of you. He's facing you. He is near and his face is so kind. And he's extending his arms out toward you. And in his hands is this beautiful gift. And this gift is life. Life for you. Full and abundant life. Life forever and life for now. He wants you to grab this gift with both hands, to plumb the depths of it, to see what's inside, to take it with both hands and to enjoy it. He wants us to know that this fullness of life is for now and you can have it amid no matter what you're going through. And I feel like maybe sometimes we just skim the surface of this gift. We know it's there. We know we can have peace and joy and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But actually, do you know how transformative this is? And Lord, I want to take that gift. I don't want to waste it. I don't want to get to the end of my life and think, wow, I just see now I could have had so much more, you know, fullness in amongst whatever I was going through. Maybe I could have had a sense of real nearness of Christ with me. And I could have had such a sense of love and intimacy. I don't want to miss out on anything. I'm going to take his gift of life with both hands. and I'm going to use it. I'm going to thank the Lord that his blood has covered everything I've done. There is nothing his blood cannot cover. There is nothing his resurrection does not breathe life into. And I'm going to take this gift. I'm not going to waste it. And I feel like this is an invitation for all of us. There is so much more. There is so much more that we can delve into. In um, Hebrews 6, 18 to 20, it says, We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let it go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline, reaching past all appearances, reaching past all physical circumstances and realities into the very presence of God where Jesus is running on ahead of us.
And I just feel that today, you know what? God loves us so much. And He doesn't want us to struggle on our own. And His resurrected resurrected life is here today. He is breathing resurrected life into your hopes and into your dreams. He is breathing, breathing resurrected life into every corner of your heart. If you want Him to, it's there. And I feel like there's... um. There's um, a couple of people which God's highlighted to me, and you might know if this is you, you'll know. Um, I feel like some of you have given up hope. You know, you've stopped praying. You know, it might just be one little thing in your life, but you've shelved it and you've put it away and you've just resigned to the fact that it's never going to happen. But Jesus hasn't forgotten your prayers. He still hears the prayers that you prayed. He still remembers, and He's encouraging you today to take up those hopes, to take up those dreams and those prayers again and allow him to breathe life and abundance back into you again. And some of you need encouragement to keep hoping. You feel like that pregnant lady in the last few weeks where every day feels like an eternity. And God is telling you today to keep hoping. Your hope is producing good stuff in you. Don't let the devil discourage you. He wants to give you new ears and eyes to see the new life that he's growing in you. And I feel that some of you are tired of going through life alone. It's like you're at a crossroads in your life and you see one path you can go without Jesus and one path you can go with Jesus. And both ways, you're not going to be unscathed from suffering. You're not going to be um, immune to, to crappy stuff happening. But with Jesus, you have life and you have abundance and you have fullness and you have joy and you have hope and you have peace that can carry you up and above and over all those things. So I feel that there's an invitation for some of you today who don't yet know Jesus or perhaps you haven't met him properly yet and he's wanting to meet you today and say, look at this life that I have for you. And I feel like some of you have received this life, but you feel like perhaps for some reason, for shame or a sense of inadequacy, you feel like maybe you don't deserve this this gift of life and you just want to kind of work on some stuff for a little while or fix yourself up or maybe you just need to work through some issues and then you'll come back later and you'll, you'll receive all that he has for you. Imagine if someone shared everything of themselves for you. They lay everything down on the line. They poured their entire selves out for you and all wrapped up in a gift. They put this out here for you to take and you were like, um, thanks, but you know, I'm not good enough and I'm just not going to take it. Christ has paid everything for us. He loves us so much and it's there for the taking. It is there for the taking. His blood has covered everything and he is there for the taking. I think, he, um, I think there are people here today who feel a sense of shame in some, for some reason and, um, and you've been holding back. Um, God loves you and he wants you to have everything. He wants you to have all of him. 